I'm going to invite up, actually not Gordon, not just yet, <laughs> sorry. Um, we're going to have a Bible reading, then I'm going to invite Gordon up. So, Diane, thank you, Diane. Psalm 67, if you want to get your Bibles open or turn them on, whatever you're using this morning. And uh, the first seven verses, the only seven verses. So, Psalm 67, and I'm reading from the NLT Bible. May God be merciful and bless us. May his face smile with favour on us. May you always be known thoughtful throughout the earth, your saving power among people everywhere. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. Let the whole world sing for joy, because you govern the nations with justice and guide the people of the whole world. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. When then the earth will yield its harvests, and God, our God, will richly bless us. Yes, God will bless us, and people all over the world will fear him. So over the last couple of years, you know that um, we have been uh, increasing intentional discipleship. We now have discipleship pairings in our church. I think 100 people are in pairings. And um, the reason I'm saying this is because I've known Gordon since I was about uh, 12, 11? Many, so many. So only years. about 10 years ago. <laughs> I wish. Um, Gordon looked the same then as he did now to us. It just, it's great. But Gordon has had a huge and profound impact on my life following Jesus. He's discipled me, whether he realizes it or not. I've gone to lots of his youth things, either camps or up the road at Duncan Road. Uh, even my kids now go to Gordon's stuff as well. And so they're getting that investment, which is fantastic. I just thought it'd be interesting to see. you probably get more hands in the traditional expression this morning. Anyone, anyone put your hand up who's been impacted by Gordon's ministry locally? Look at that. That's fantastic. A, for those who are online, there's a lot of hands that have gone up. So um, just a big thank you to you and to Penny. Give you guys a round of applause. Is that okay? Thank you. You didn't come here for this, but um, yeah. So can I just pray for you and then hand over to you? Thank you, Gordon. Father God, I thank you for my brother in Christ. I thank you for your incredible love for him. Lord, I thank you for his journey with you and his love for you. Lord, just fill my brother now with your power, with your anointing. Lord, let his words be your words and let our hearts be open to whatever it is that you want to say and do in our lives this morning, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jim. And thank you for the opportunity to come along and to share with you. And uh, that little segment there on prayer just reminds us that no one does it on their own. And we all work together if we're going to achieve anything. And the ministry that Penny and myself are involved in, we work with others We form little prayer groups and working groups and committees so that it spreads the load of the work and we use other people's gifts and talents. And when it comes to prayer, we need to pray for one another. And uh, just as, um, I can't remember the chap's name, Trevor was talking, I think my kids have never had a day when someone hasn't prayed for them. I grew up in an unchristian family. I'm one of nine. I didn't know about Jesus till I was 17. Um, So no one prayed for me that I was conscious of. But from the moment my kids, even before they were born, parents have prayed for them, grandparents have prayed for them, our church has prayed for them, and the county's family that we're involved with pray for them. Folks tell us they pray for them daily. So keep on praying, because we need your prayers. You need to practice. It's a great combination, okay? And we need your prayers for the work we're involved in. Uh, We live just up the road, um, in Abshot Road, so very, very close to you. And we work with an organisation called Counties. You can check us out on social media. Because my surname is unusual, Curly, 
as you can see, curly hair. Um, the, the, I'm the only one in the world who's Gordon Curly. So if you put my name in a Google, our social media comes up. Check us out. If you want to do it the old-fashioned way, then when you have a cup of coffee, there's a kind of a newsletter and there's a magazine for the work we're involved in. Can we have the next slide? We were a group called Counties that have been around since 1899, but do not think it is old-fashioned. I guarantee you will find more contemporary, more varied ministry under the banner of Counties than any other Christian organisation, simply because of the way it's formed. Counties uh, is an umbrella organisation that let people like me work under their logo. We get pastoral support, we get some financial support, we get a lot of assistance, but we're allowed to do our own ministry. So some like me are jack-of-all-trades, some of my colleagues are church planters or kids workers or student workers, but there's tremendous variety. And the next slide, there are over 40 different evangelists across the UK who work under the county's banner. And Penny and myself, we serve counties here in Hampshire. And the next slide. Our ministry is divided kind of 50-50. Round about 2000, we felt we should give half of our time to Duncan Road Church, which was a very small elderly Christian brethren church up in Parkgate that was slowly dwindling. And uh, for a number of years, we worked alongside them as the only family there. And we felt we ought to try and build up that church. And we've been there ever since, working as part of the leadership team. And half my time is spent preaching there and, and as, as a leader there. And Penn is also involved in that ministry. And then the other 50% of our time is here, there and everywhere. So it enables me to go into schools. It enables me to put on projects in the area, but all sharing Jesus. So that's what our passion is, evangelism. And we do it locally and we do it further afield. And when Jim asked me to come and speak, he gave me a three topic, which for a preacher is a nightmare. If we have our next slide. I walked into the front room. I said, oh, Penn, I don't know what to preach on. He's given me a three topic. And the next one. And Penny just said Psalm 67 which she'd been reading that morning and had blessed her. So I said, thanks, went into my office, and then I figured it's a win-win. Now I've got my subject, and if you don't like it, you blame the wife. <laughs> not really, of course, not really. Psalm 67, if you were Jewish, you would know it off by heart. It is called the Lord's Prayer of the Old Testament. The Lord's Prayer of the Old Testament. So if you haven't read it recently, go home and learn it. Seven verses. It's also called the Menorah Psalm. The Menorah Psalm. You know the Jewish candlestick of seven branches? And if you want to know why, well, you have to go home and do your own uh, Googling, your own work on that one. But it's a fantastic little psalm. And I love it. And I thought I would preach on it today. Now, normally when I preach, I have a glass of water next to me, not Coca-Cola. But this is a visual aid. I'm not going to open it up because the gas will make me burp throughout my sermon. <laughs> but Coca-Cola has come a long way since its humble beginnings. In 1886, Dr. John Pembleton came up with this sugary, watery concoction. Originally, it was green in colour, not brown. You didn't buy it in a, uh, a garage or a supermarket. You went to a chemist. And originally it was sold as a brain tonic, believe it or not. You know as well as me, drink much of that stuff and you'll end up destroying your brain. Very humble beginnings. But after just 100 years, the experts tell us 97% of the world 
have heard of Coca-Cola. 72% of the world have seen a can of Coca-Cola and 51% of the world has tasted Coca-Cola. Now that's impressive. That's impressive. All because one man had a vision and a marketing department, a marketing department had a slogan. And if you go into the offices of Coca-Cola, on the wall of their main office is this slogan. Think globally, act locally. Think globally, act locally. And that's mission, folks. That's this psalm and its message. That's what we're called to do. Think globally and you start by acting locally. And each one of us are called, if we are to be biblical Christians, to think world. To think world. You see, the emphasis of my ministry is Duncan Road Church, this area, Hampshire. But if I'm to be a biblical Christian, I've got to think world. I've got to pray world. I've got to think of serving world. Because that's what Jesus called us to. Go into, whoa, go into all the world. Think globally. Act locally. And if you scan this psalm, let me encourage you to have a Bible open, otherwise you, I could make anything up. Check me out. If you have a Bible open, look at verse 2. All nations. The Living Bible says, for all mankind. Verse 4. The nations of the earth. Young's literal translation says, peoples of the earth. Whenever the Bible talks about the nations and the world, it's talking people groups. Not just the 230 countries, but the thousands of people groups. Like the travellers, like the Pit Janjaro, like different people groups. India alone has thousands of people groups we're called to go to. Verse 7, to the ends of the earth. And again, the Living Bible says, people from the remotest land. Someone has said that everybody is a missionary or a mission field. A missionary or a mission field. If you are a Christian, then you are a missionary. I preach in one church, and as you leave the exit, above the door it says these words. You are about to enter the mission field. And it's just a reminder to the members of that church, when you leave the building, you're in a mission field if you belong to Jesus. And if you've yet to come to faith in Christ, you are the mission field that needs to be reached. Everybody is either a missionary or a mission field. John Wesley, the, one of the founders of Methodism, said this many years ago, all the world is my parish. All the world is my parish. Think globally, act locally. One of the things I enjoy when, uh, on a Sunday afternoon, not today, but next week and the last few weeks is, at the end of the a service, I get in my car and zoom up the M3, across the M25, and come in to uh, London. And I go to Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park and join the hundreds of people who are there. And Speaker's Corner is one place in England where you can literally say anything you want without fear of arrest. There's no political correctness there. As long as you do not slag off the Queen, you can say whatever you want. And there'll be people there today. There'll be uh, politicians there. There will be um, the weird, the wonderful, and the religious. The Muslims out-dominate the Christians 20 to 1. They are there in, in force, evangelising, doing dawah. The Flat Earth Society are there. And they have members all around the globe. They're very popular. 
And one of the reasons I go is not just because I like a good argument, a good debate, a good chat, is I can't practically go to all the world. I go to maybe one or two countries a year. But when I'm at Speaker's Corner, the whole world comes to me. And I will speak to people from Saudi Arabia. I will speak to people from South America. I will speak to people from Asia. I will speak to people in one afternoon alone from a variety of world countries. It's a great opportunity. And we're called to think globally, but act locally. And this psalm divides into three headings that we can apply to our lives and our situations. Next slide. First of all, according to this psalm, why do we need to be missionaries? Why do we need to go out with the gospel? Because the world needs light. The world needs light. Look at verse one. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. If those verses sound familiar, it's because you've heard them in perhaps the most famous prayer from the Old Testament, a benediction that people use often at the end of the service. In a book of law, there's a beautiful little prayer, a beautiful little benediction that says, may God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord shine his face upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you his peace. And this psalm, like a number of other psalms, pinches from it and includes it into their particular song, their particular expression of worship. According to verse one, the light of God is demonstrated in three ways. First of all, he says, may God be gracious to you. May God be gracious to you. What is grace? Well, in shorthand, it's what, when you get something you don't deserve. I have various passions in life. I love football, I love tennis, I love music, and I love coffee. And any excuse to go to a coffee shop, I am there. I order my black nectar, and I just drink it slowly, and maybe go back for a second one. But I remember I was in one coffee shop on one occasion, uh, visiting a town. I was so enjoying my coffee, I'd forgotten the time. And my phone beeped to remind me that my parking was up. And I was on the wrong side of town. So I drank my coffee, I legged it as fast as I could to get to my car. And lo and behold, the traffic warden was there, machine in hand. And I did what all men did, I begged. I said, oh, please don't give me a ticket. And this is what they said to me. You're late, but we allow a 10-minute grace period. A 10-minute grace period. Now, I should have asked the person, what does that mean? But I know the word grace. Grace simply means you deserve to pay, but you've been let off. You've got a 10-minute grace period. You deserve to pay, but you've been let off. You have a 10-minute period. Well, what's true with a car is even greater, is even truer with God. We deserve to pay for our own sin, but we have a God who, in his grace, has paid for us, who lets us off. And this psalm says, in life, may God be gracious to you, give you what you don't deserve. And the reason we're here today is God hasn't given us what we deserve. He deals with us in grace. He deals with us in grace. Secondly, how does light show itself? May God bless us. Bless us. 
Bless is a Christian throwaway word. When you don't know what to say to someone, you say, oh, bless you. And when people pray and they don't know what to pray, they say, Lord, bless, bless. It's a kind of a, a, a throwaway word. But it's a word with meaning. When you bless, you are adding, asking God to add something to the situation that is beyond human ability. Something I can't do, God. You need to work. You need to do something. And isn't it good we have a God who is gracious to us and a God who blesses us? There's a, I don't know if you were, grew up on comics. I never read a book until I became a Christian, but I read comics all the time. I had a paper round and I discovered that actually all the comics would come out on a Tuesday. I could take them home Tuesday night, read them and then deliver them on the Wednesday. <laughs> I wasn't a Christian in those days, but uh, so I had lots of three comics and magazines, etc. So I was great on comics, but useless on books. But one of the comics I loved was Dennis the Menace, or one of the comic characters, Dennis the Menace. And there's a lovely story where Dennis is talking to his friend, Joey. And they've just come from Mrs. Wilson's house. So in their hands are piles of cookies, biscuits, piles of cookies. And Joey says to Dennis, I wonder what we did to deserve this. And Dennis replies, he's so insightful. He says, look, Joey, Mrs. Wilson gave us the cookies, not because we are nice, but because she is nice. Isn't that a good answer? And we have a God who deals with us, not because we are nice, but because he is nice. And he blesses us when we don't deserve it. And the psalmist says here, Lord, bless us. And why does God bless us? That we might bless others. You know, I joked at the beginning that Penny chose this psalm, and in one sense she got my thoughts on it, but I did listen to last week's sermon, and I did think that this psalm complemented last week's sermon, because those verses from Micah just remind us we are called to bless others, to go out to others, to serve others, to make a difference to others, and we do that as God blesses us, so we bless others. Ten years ago, it popped up on our timeline this, this week that we were in Israel, um, we'd hired a car and we were driving around to our favourite spots on a family holiday. And one of the places we went, my wife chose it, was the Sea of Galilee. And we had a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, it's funny, we turned up, we hadn't booked it, and uh, there was a, a boat, a tourist about to go, and I said to the chap, room for four more? And he said, well, you'll have to pay. So I said, how much? And he looked at us, he said... Two dollars? What, each? No, no, for all of you. Go on then. <laughs> so we probably had the cheapest trip ever on the Sea of Galilee with an American group, so all the commentary was in American so we could understand and enjoy. But there are two main seas in Israel, the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And if you go to the Dead Sea, it is the lowest place on planet Earth. As you drive down there, your ears will pop, a bit like an aeroplane landing. That's how low it is on planet Earth. And there is an inlet to the Dead Sea, but there's no outlet. But the water never floods because it's so hot, it just evaporates. And the water evaporates, but all the salt, all the sulfur, all the sediment remains. That's why it's a Dead Sea. It is full of impurities. And it is so full, you know, if you've ever been there, you can actually sit on the water and you don't sink. The sediment holds your body up. It's a tourist experience. But Bruce Barton, in one of his books many years ago, challenged his readers. Are you a Sea of Galilee Christian or a Dead Sea Christian? 
And the Dead Sea Christian has an inlet but no outlet. Am I all blessed me, Lord? Bless me, Lord. Oh, Lord, bless me. And that's where it stays. Or are we a Sea of Galilee with an inlet and an outlet? Lord, bless me that I might bless others. Lord, fill me so that I can serve others. Fill me, Lord, so that I can help and minister to others. God causes us to be blessed, to bless others, to be a blessing. And then thirdly, he says, may God shine his face on us. Now, a person's face is very revealing. If you're a preacher, you look at faces. One, you want to engage. There's nothing better than eye-to-eye contact with someone. Even in a big room, you can tell if folks are listening. You can also tell when they've had enough. (laughs) You know when you've missed the mark. You know when someone's bored out their brain. You just look at their face. But of course, when you meet someone, you can tell whether they're happy, whether they're sad. Their face is the giveaway. And notice what this psalm says about God's face. May the Lord make his face shine upon us. Shine upon us. I think of a morning when you wake up in the morning and you go to the window and you get the curtains and you pull them apart. And when it's raining, don't you go, oh. And then a day like this week, when you open the curtains and the sun's shining, you go, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. The sun is shining. Unless, of course, you suffer from hay fever, (laughs) then you've got problems. (laughs) Hey, for you and I as Christians, every day the sun is shining. Every day we're invited into the presence of God who shines his face upon us. Wow, isn't that good? That's how God wants his light to shine out into the world. God wants his grace to be known. God wants his blessings to be known. And God wants to shine out his glory. And the way God will work in his world is through his people. Let's have the next slide. Here's the second point in the psalm. Why do we need to go and be missionaries? Because the world needs joy. The world needs joy. Look at verse 3. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy and guide the nations of the earth. A glad heart makes a happy face, wrote Solomon in the book of Proverbs. A glad heart makes a happy face. Some of you have had a tough week, haven't you? (laughs) Joy is the theme of these verses. Verse 4, glad. Verse 4, sing for joy. Twice in verse 5, praise God. The desire of this psalm is that the whole earth might know God's blessing. Now here's the difference between David using it and Moses in number 6. Although we often use the blessing of Moses, may the Lord bless you, that was given to God's people in a covenant relationship. It's primarily to Egypt. Now, it's not wrong to use it, but we're taking it out of context and giving it a new context when we apply it to us. Moses even says, the Lord said to my people. But here, the same blessing is given to all nations, all nations. And did you notice verse 3 and 5 are the same? Verse 3 and 5 are the same with verse 4 sandwiched in between. And that's the biblical teaching tool. The theologians call it, or the scholars call it, inclusio, 
inclusio. When God wants to highlight something, he uses repetition. And if it's repetition, a verse and repetition, it's the middle bit he's drawing to your attention. Don't miss it. And the point he's emphasising is that the people, the nations, not just Israel, God has a heart for all people. But they will only know his joy. They will only know true worship. According to verse 4, if he governs them, you rule the peoples with equity. Unless God is ruling the people, they'll never know his blessing. Verse 4, you guide the nations. Unless he is Lord of their lives, leading and guiding them, they will not know his blessing. They will not have a light like you and I have. The Living Bible paraphrases it this way. How glad the nations will be, singing for joy, because you are their king and will give you true justice to their people. A dad was trying to explain marriage to his four-year-old daughter. And he thought he was doing a good job. But she was having trouble just grasping the idea. So he had a brainwave. He went and got the old photo album. Some of you dinosaurs remember those. So he got this album out and started to show the photographs. And after about 10 minutes, he thought the, nail had hit, the hammer had hit the nail on the head. Thinking explained well, he said, now do you understand? And the little four-year-old said, I think so, Daddy. So is that when Mummy came to work for us? <laughs> you know, we live in a world... <laughs> where people expect God to work for them. So if they're doing God a favour by turning up at church or worshipping or thinking about him. The cart before the horse, isn't it? This psalm reminds us we are called to work for him. We are called to honour him. We make him king and we serve him. In his book, Psalms of the Heart, George Sweetin tells the story of John and Eileen Beckman. God called them to work amongst the Khoi Indians. Khoi is spelled C-H-O-L. The Khoi Indians in South Mexico. It took them about three, four days to get there. They were a remote tribe in the Mexican jungle. They could only go so far by foot. They had to cut down a tree, dig out a canoe, and then sail the rest of the way in the canoe. Once you got there, you were not coming back on furlough. You were not coming back on holiday. You stayed there. And John and Ellen Beckman spent 25 years living amongst the Khoi Indians of South Mexico. Other missionaries went and joined them, and from not a single believer, if you go there today, there are over 12,000 Christians amongst that tribe of Indians. Now, when they first got there, something unusual that they noticed. No one ever sang in that village, in that township. Music was unheard of. No one used their voices or instruments. No one ever sang. And when people started to come to faith in Christ, they didn't call them Christians. They gave them a new name, a nickname. They didn't say, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus. They said, you've become one of those singers, haven't you? One of those singers. It's a bit like Christians in Pakistan are often known as the sweepers. Because it's a dominant Muslim country, if you become a Christian, the only job you can get is sweeping up, clearing away the rubbish. And so often Pakistani Christians are called the sweepers, the derogatory term. And these people were called the singers. God had put a song into their heart. 
They'd never done it before, but when they encountered Jesus, they started to praise him. He has given us a joy that the world doesn't know and the world doesn't have. And we're called to share that joy. And what is that joy? That joy is Christ, isn't it? I love Psalm 40. I I was tempted to preach on that. But in Psalm 40, David says, He has put a new song in my heart, and many will see and fear. Who's going to fear over a song? I think he means their fear, they're missing out. What's this person got that I haven't got? Penny on a Saturday morning is meeting with a lady at the moment and doing a one-to-one Bible study, kind of a Christianity Explored. And the reason that lady's on that course, out and out atheist, although I think by now she's probably agnostic, do pray that she'll come to true faith. But if you said to her, why are you on that course? Why are you studying the Bible with Penny? She'll say this, because I've met three Christians and even though I don't believe in God, there is something about them I can't explain. They've got a peace. They've got a joy. They've got a contentment that I can't find anywhere else. And I'm fascinated. I want to know how I can have it. Well, the answer is Christ. No Christ, no peace. No Christ, no joy. Let him put a song in your heart. The world needs joy. And we've got Christ. And to a joyless world, let's take him. And that'll help transform our community. And then finally, our third point. Why do we need to go as missionaries? Because the world needs life. The world needs life. Look at verse five. May the people praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. There's a story told of a bank robber who was up in court before the judge and the judge said to him, come on, he said, look, why are you robbing banks? And with a straight face, he looked at the judge, he said, because uh, that's where the money is. (laughs) It's not complicated, is it? Why do I believe in Jesus? Because that's where the life is. Why do I believe in Jesus? That's where the forgiveness is. Why do I believe in Jesus? That's where the true joy is. Everything I need is in Jesus. That's why I believe in Jesus. C.S. Lewis put it this way. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, You must get close to or even into the thing that has them. And only Christ truly has them. I like the story of Simon Peter in John 6 when Jesus fed 5,000 people. He starts teaching them and they start disappearing one by one, 10 by 10, 100 at a time. And Peter said, Lord, Lord, you're losing your congregation. A preacher's biggest nightmare when people walk out and you're left to speak to empty chairs. Lord, you're losing your congregation. Your teaching's too hard. Just soften it up a little bit. Entertain, do another miracle. They'll soon come back. And Jesus said, no. And then he looked at Peter. He said, well, what about you? Are you going to leave as well? And Peter said, Lord, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. There is nowhere else. We have a God who is the life giver, who brings eternal life. And this talks about a harvest. For these people, it was a literal, physical harvest. In the ancient world, the greatest sign that God had blessed you is that you had food. You had an abundant harvest. 
That was the number one sign that you were right with God. Because God had promised in the Old Testament, if you obey him and you walk in his ways, he will feed you, he will provide for you. But if you disobey, then your harvest will fail. So an abundant harvest is a sign of God's blessing. Now we don't physically take this as a literal harvest. We use it symbolic, spiritually, as we apply it. Our God blesses us and he produces a harvest, new life, food and satisfaction. A number of years ago, uh, Penny's mom brought me for my Christmas present a water lily. A water lily. Not only was it a water lily, but it was a plastic water lily. Imagine I was thrilled when I opened up the present. But she knew that I've got a pond in my garden, my pride and joy. 17 goldfish in my pond, all called Eric. Uh, there may be an Erica in there, I don't know. But uh, I decided I'd call them after my favourite footballer. And this way, no one ever gets left out. I just go, Eric, and up they come. <laughs> so she brought me this lily to float on the pond. And I put it on the pond, stood back, and it looked realistic. Very impressed. And when everyone else had barren ponds in the winter, I had this beautiful water lily floating on top of my pond. And then one day I came to feed the fish and out of the middle of the plastic flower was a, a little growth. Somehow the wind or a bird had dropped a seed in, it had germinated and even in the barrenness of a plastic flower, life was coming out. We have a God, don't we, who brings new life, new life. If you sow good seed, expect things to grow. It's not complicated, is it? If the seed is good, water it with your prayers, pray that it goes into good soil, even a plastic flower can produce life. It's the miracle of God. And you and I are called to go out with the gospel, to share it with those we encounter. Why? Because without it, they don't have life, they've got death. Your preacher last week stood up and said he takes lots and lots of funerals. I take a few, not lots and lots. And the sign you're getting older is you end up going to more funerals or you end up taking more funerals. Somebody said this, a man's life is 20 years of having his mother asking him where he's going. 40 years of having his wife ask him the same question. And at the end of his life, the mourners are all wondering too. Hey, the Christian has a hope. The Christian has a certainty. When we take a funeral on Wednesday at Duncan Road Church, we will say, this man, his body may be in the ground, but he's present with the Lord. See, eternal life started the moment he believed and it will carry on for him forever. And I often say at funerals, this little quotation, when you were born, you cried and everyone else smiled. Make sure when you die, you're smiling and everyone else cries. The last line of the psalm, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. All the ends of the earth will fear him. God wants us to go out with this message. And as we share light and joy and life, others will come to that experience. So that one day people from every tribe and every nation and every street will worship him. That's the ambition, isn't it? Think globally, act locally. 
And when we leave these doors, let's take light, joy and life with us.